Welcome to Investment Matters, the Newton Investment Podcast. I'm Matt Goodwin from the Investment Communications Team. Uh, and today I'm joined by John Porter, who is the Equity Chief Investment Officer at Newton and also runs a number of US-focused growth strategies for the company. John, welcome. Good to have you with us. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Uh, well, John, let's take it. Let's start really by looking at the, the macro backdrop. Um, obviously, we've seen uh, there's a number of headwinds in Europe which do impact the, the US, but there's a number of reasons perhaps at the moment why the US looks comparatively better placed than Europe. Could you just talk us through some of those some of those reasons? Yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'll start by talking about it from an from economic standpoint. And I think when you look at some of the challenges that the global economy faces, you know, whether it's um, you know, food inflation, energy inflation, instability around you know, those, those, those key issues for, for the vast majority of the population, the U.S. is pretty well positioned there as, as basically being self-sufficient in terms of, of, of having you know, strong energy and food sources. So that's, that's a good starting point from a, a, a macro geopolitical standpoint. But as an investor, you also have to look out look at what's being discounted in, in the equity markets. And you know, in that case, the, the US equity market is, is still trading at a very strong premium to, to almost any developed market around the world, certainly relative to, to most of the, the key European developed markets. So I would say that the relative safety of the economy and the relative independence of the economy to, from, from some of the shocks that are that the entire global economy are, are dealing with right now. Are, are probably discounted in, in U.S. equity prices right now. Okay, thank you. And, and I suppose that obviously we have to mention the, the, the conflict in Ukraine at the moment. Um, I guess, you know, obviously there's a, there's a human cost to all of that, but I guess in some ways the U.S. Has, a, has probably some insulation from some of the worst effects of that in terms of some of these inflationary forces that you mentioned. And also I guess that the U.S. is a, you know, is a, is a big food and energy producer of its own. Do these things also help um, the, the economy in the U.S.? Absolutely. I would particularly emphasize the, the energy independence. I mean, we're seeing in, in Europe the dependence on Russian oil and gas has become a, a real challenge for some of the key developed countries um, here in Europe. And the U.S. is, is you know, fortunately, you know, largely independent, um, particularly on a natural, from a natural gas perspective, but even, for, even from an oil perspective. But they're still subject to, I mean, the, the, these are global commodities and the inflation is being felt, you know, around the globe. And when you look at, you know, oil prices north of $100 a barrel every place. That's, you know, reverberating in the U.S. to to prices of the pump. And I think, you know, literally over the last few weeks, we've seen the U.S. consumer start to to, to, te- to teeter a little bit and, you know, feel the, the effects of, of, you know, this this shocking increase in inflation that we've seen, you know, over the past few months. Thanks, John. So, so clearly, obviously, issues in the US as there are in Europe and elsewhere from some of the headwinds, the geopolitical headwinds we're seeing. But so if we bring it in now to, a, to a, bring an investment lens to it, um, as investors, you're quite a, you use themes, don't you, to sort of both micro and macro themes in your process. Can you sort of talk us through sort of how that thematic investment framework is used? Uh, for the strategies that I'm responsible for on, on the equity side, the way I would describe it is that all themes, whether they're micro or macro, 
help give us a blueprint for, for the economic landscape and how it may unfold from a longer term perspective for say the next two to five years. Um, so when we look at macro themes like the you know tech war, for example, which you know just reflects sort of you know global competition you know in the tech industry and rising regulation of the technology industry, that's that's a critical macro theme for us to, to digest and consider as we invest um, portfolios going forward. But then there's there's micro themes, whether it's uh, you know genomics or the changing forms of, of healthcare delivery that lead to individual securities that are a critical input into our research process and in, in identifying some of those companies that are benefiting from from these, you know, this changing landscape, this this rise in, in disruption and innovation helps us identify the individual securities really dive deep on that ultimately end up forming our portfolios. Let's, should we dig a little bit deeper in, into that then? So um, perhaps we can talk about some specific themes uh, which are leading into certain types of companies or perhaps certain types of sector. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think there's... First, let me step back. If if we're doing our thematic research well, um, these themes are pretty long lived. You know, they, they they don't change very quickly. If you know, the, the, what we're really trying to to identify is the key themes that are going to be you know very significant to the global economy, how business is going to function globally for the next several years, and so that that backdrop doesn't change. So, you know, digital transformation is is an example of a theme that at Newton we identified several years ago. And today it continues to play a significant role in many of our different investment strategies. Um, Now, the particular investment opportunities have certainly evolved over time. And COVID is an example, you know, accelerate some of the trends that, that we identified and we've had to navigate sort of the changing, you know, investment landscape of some of these businesses seeing, you know, rapid growth in, in, in revenues and profitability and, and also rapid growth in, in, in valuation. But, you know, some of these themes like, like digital transformation, we expect to, to be, you know, part of the portfolio for um, several years. Now, where there's some, some new themes emerging, I would focus on the, the healthcare area. So, um, you know, areas like genomics or, you know, um, changing forms of healthcare delivery. Um, some of these opportunities have been accelerated because of COVID. I think COVID helped reveal some challenges in the global healthcare system. It revealed challenges in terms of, you know, individuals' health and wellness, but it also revealed challenges in how we identify, you know, healthcare issues and how we treat healthcare issues. And so some, some nascent healthcare-oriented themes that we were excited about have really come to the forefront, and we expect to play a much bigger role in the investment landscape for the next several years. Okay, thank you. I mean, I suppose you mentioned there about about healthcare. I mean, I think one thing that we've seen uh, through the global pandemic was we've seen a maybe for the last two or three years large cap performance. Large caps have generally outperformed small and mid, which typically is the area that you look you look more at. Um, we've seen that people have talked a lot about a, a kind of rotation between growth and value. But how do you see sort of rel- relative valuations now between those very big stocks and some of the smaller mid cap names? Certainly. You know, I, I've been, you know, in the investment industry for, for more than 25 years and, you know, seen, you know, sort of changes in the market construct. And one of the biggest changes I've seen, you know, really over the last 10 years is sort of, you know, the dynamic between large cap stocks in the U.S. and small cap stocks in the U.S. They're, 
you know, when you look at the, the long, long-term history, you look at data over the last several decades, the, the data shows that small cap companies over the long period, you know, grow faster, ultimately deliver higher returns, a bit more volatile than, than large cap. So adjusting for that, there's, there's not huge um, differences. But in general, over several decades, it has been rewarding to own small cap businesses in the U.S. The last 10 years has been a different dynamic. The, the, the U.S. market has, has, you know, almost every year for the last decade, it's been led by large cap businesses. And I think what I've seen as, a, as an analyst, as an investor in, in U.S. securities, is the large cap companies today have become much more active, much more dynamic, much more competitive than, than the stereotypical large cap company of 10 or 15 years ago. The large cap companies, you know, in the U.S. market, uh, for sure, are not sitting back resting on their laurels. Um, they're continuing to innovate. They're continuing to use M&A to, to add to their um, capabilities. And so you know, that's made it a little bit harder landscape for the average small cap stock to, to compete with large caps. Now, if you fast forward to today, you know, the, the market has realized, you know, the higher growth, the more consistent growth that large cap has delivered over the last several years, and it's really bid up the, the valuation. And we're at the point today when you look at large cap U.S. stocks relative to small cap U.S. stocks, that the premium that the large is receiving over small is essentially at a 10-year at a high. And so from a valuation perspective, I think some of the, the, the lagging performance is, is, is well discounted in, in small cap valuations relative to large cap. And I think it adds to the, the compelling opportunity in small caps today relative to large cap, the starting point of, of, of valuation. I think and you've talked, obviously, about healthcare already. Um, are there any other specific sectors in the small and mid cap space where you're finding quite interesting opportunities at the moment? Well, I, I guess I, I did speak about healthcare earlier, but I, I would emphasize that that there are some really exciting thematic things happening in and around healthcare, whether it's you know genomic technologies or connected healthcare, changing forms of healthcare delivery, that I think from a you know three, four, five year time horizon and beyond sets the stage for for healthcare to really be you know the potentially the center of innovation in our global economy for the next several years, and so that's that's a really compelling uh, longer term investment opportunity. But when I look at what's going on in the market today and all the, ma all the macro uncertainty and all the uncertainty about inflation and interest rates and growth in the consumer and so forth, the healthcare industry right now, here now, has a, a very compelling combination of, of a good growth outlook, but defensive business models that are, are less susceptible to, to fluctuation and, uh, fluctuations in economic growth and compelling valuation. So I think that there's a, both a short-term and a long-term story with different drivers of each that, that lead us to think healthcare is a very attractive place to focus on right now. I mean, John, you talked a bit earlier about one of the thematics around digital transformation. I mean, let's talk quickly about the tech sector. We've seen a, a period of time through the pandemic in particular where tech stocks outperformed across the spectrum. Um, where do you see that sector now? Are you still seeing opportunities there or is that more challenged? What, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think if, if I sit back and look at the technology landscape for the next three, four, five years, the, the growth outlook is, is as attractive as, as it's ever been. When you talk about some of these thematic drivers, whether it's mobility, whether it's digital transformation, whether it's things like blockchain, which are a little bit 
you know, less mature. There's some, you know, continue to be some incredibly powerful longer, long-term drivers of growth in and around the technology area. And in, in many respects, you know, the COVID crisis validated some of the trends that are already in place. The challenge with technology today is the stocks had just a massive run during COVID, you know, through COVID. And while there's been a pretty meaningful pullback in, in the technology industry, you know, I would say on average, the average tech stocks valuation is still underwhelming. And I would add that there's a degree of cyclicality with um, portions of the technology sector that in today's landscape of a lot of uncertainty about, you know, global GDP growth, make you, you know, a little bit cautious about what the short-term fundamental picture might look like. So, you know, when you when you add some of the short-term fundamental concerns with, you know, underwhelming valuation, you know, yes, the long-term growth picture is fantastic, but I think this is a time to still tread a little carefully around the technology part of the market. I mean, I, and I guess, uh, fine, let's, let's, let's talk a bit about sort of some of your investment philosophy and process. Uh, you obviously wear a number of hats in your, in your role as a CIO, equity CIO and uh, across the market cap spectrum. But um, you use a process or an investment process you call f- the four M's. Can you just talk us through uh, what those are and how that sort of helps you frame your, your investment, yeah. investment process? Um, you know, first, I'll just define what we mean by the four M's. And this is a, a term that was coined by one of the you know, key members of our investment team, Rob, Rob Zuthin. So the four M's refer to a management, a market size model or the, the business model, and lastly, the boat. And these four M's are key because you know, what we're trying to do is really challenging. We're, we're operating in, you know, in an area of the market where we're focused on smaller cap, unproven companies. And you know, also because we're trying to find the most innovative, the most disruptive, the highest growth potential companies, we tend to be trafficking in pretty expensive stocks. So you're starting with a couple of challenges as an investor. I mean, you know, finance 101 is, you know, low value stocks have a better chance of outperforming than high value stocks. And we just we choose to to, to operate primarily in a higher value part of the sector, uh, the higher value part of the, the the market. And so we recognize that that's that's a headwind. And then these small cap companies are, are unproven. So how do you determine which ones can be, you know, sort of that needle in the haystack that can really, you know, perform really well, exceed investor expectations and, and be key contributors to portfolios? And for us, it's the four M's. This is a framework that we've long utilized when we're evaluating an investment opportunity. It doesn't matter whether it's a, a, you know, an industrial manufacturer or a pet food company or a software company. We've, we've got this, this four M framework. And so what we're trying to do is we want to own businesses that have really strong differentiated management teams. We want the, the companies we operate in ideally in, in big markets. We want them to have a, an attractive business model. We want to see a pathway to, to, to strong profitability at some point in the future. It doesn't have to be this year or next year, but we want to see a clear pathway and a commitment to delivering on that pathway from from executives. And then lastly is the moat. Like, you know, the company may look like they have differentiated capabilities today. They may be market leaders today, but why can that be that be sustained? So not every company that we invest in can check the box on of, of all four of these M's, if you will. But but many do, and that's our that's our approach to, to this this challenging part of the market, trying to identify these these real differentiated growth companies that that are going to be tomorrow's blue chips, and today almost nobody knows knows who they are. So, John, your your main focus, obviously, you are a, naturally a growth investor, um, looking at the U.S. market and how it's performed. We've seen that 
sort of growth has really struggled probably over the last sort of 12 months or so in, in the States. Um, firstly, why, why is that really? And, and how, do you see that, how do you see that playing out over the next few months and years? Yeah, absolutely. You're, 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 you're so right in terms of the dynamic in the market. And if we go back to sort of 2017, 18, 19, 2020, you know, growth was a real leadership part of the market in the United States. And, and at the end of the day, that comes down to relative earnings growth. We were seeing that, you know, these, the, you know, growth stocks um, to oversimplify are relatively economically insensitive. And so they, they can grow at a nice steady rate, you know, in, in almost any macro environment. And in the United States, we had a, a sort of quiet, calm, slow growth macroeconomic environment. And, you know, the growth stocks really put up stellar relative growth rates in, in the market rewarded them. Then you get to, you know, COVID in in 2020 and that that trend was accelerated because, you know, again, the average growth company wasn't particularly economically sensitive, was was more of a beneficiary from the economic shutdown than than the average value stock. And you saw, you know, the the trends really diverge um, even more um, significantly in 2020. But then you get to 2021 and the economy starts to reopen and you know you know significant stimulus dollars were, were poured into the economy and the the typical value stock is very sensitive to to economic growth and was a huge beneficiary so in 2021 while broad market earnings growth for let's say the s p 500 grew earnings somewhere around 50 percent in 2021, the growth rate for value stocks on average was even higher than that. So the relative earnings growth was was much more attractive in 2021 for for value, and that that helped them lead the market. As we come into 2022, when we go ahead, the question about what lies ahead comes back to this key question that we're all trying to wrestle with, which is you know inflation and interest rates, because you know most value stocks benefit from you know a bit of inflation, and if we're going to be in an environment, which is a plausible scenario, if we're going to be in an environment for the next two, three, four years of you know above trend valuation, or pardon me, above above trend inflation, it's very possible that the, the value leadership could be sustained for at least a few more months, if not into 2023 and, and beyond. John, um, thank you very much for your time, and uh, we'll catch up with everyone again soon. Newton Investment Management North America LLC, NIMNA, or the firm, is a registered investment advisor and subsidiary of the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation, BNY Mellon. The firm was established in 2021, comprised of equity and multi-asset teams from an affiliate, Mellon Investments Corporation. The firm is part of a group of affiliate companies that individually or collectively provide investment advisory services under the brand Newton, or Newton Investment Management, Newton. Newton currently includes NIMNA and Newton Investment Management Limited, Newton Limited. Any statements of opinion constitute only current opinions of NIMNA, which are subject to change and which NIMNA does not undertake to update. This publication or any portion thereof may not be copied or distributed without prior written approval from the firm. Statements are correct as of the date of the material only. This document may not be used for the purpose of an offer or solicitation in any jurisdiction or in any circumstance in which such offer or solicitation is unlawful or not authorized. The information in this publication is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific investment advice or recommendations for any purchase or sale of any specific security. 
Some information contained herein has been obtained from third-party sources that are believed to be reliable, but the information has not been independently verified by NIMNA. NIMNA makes no representations as to the accuracy or the completeness of such information. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee returns or eliminate risk in any market environment, and past performance is no indication of future performance. The indices referred to herein are used for comparative and informational purposes only and have been selected because they are generally considered to be representative of certain markets. Comparisons to indices as benchmarks have limitations because indices have volatility and other material characteristics that may differ from the portfolio, investment, or hedge to which they are compared. The providers of the indices referred to herein are not affiliated with NIMNA, do not endorse, sponsor, sell, or promote the investment strategies or products mentioned herein, and they make no representation regarding the advisability of investing in the products and strategies described herein. Any forward-looking statements speak only as of the date they are made and are subject to numerous assumptions, risks, and uncertainties, which change over time. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated in forward-looking statements. If distributed in the UK, EMEA, Australia, New Zealand, this podcast is issued by Newton Limited and may be deemed a financial promotion. Newton Limited is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, FCA, 12 Endeavour Square, London, E20, 1JN, in the conduct of investment business. Register in England, number 01371973. NIM is also registered as investment advisors with the Securities and Exchange Commissions, SEC, to offer investment advisory services in the United States. If distributed in Canada, this podcast is issued by either Newton Limited, which is availing itself of the International Advisors Exemption, IAE, in the following Canadian provinces, Alberta, British Columbia, Ontario, and Quebec. The IAE is in compliance with National Instrument 31-103, Registration Requirement, Exemptions, and Ongoing Registrant Obligations, or NIMNA, which is availing itself of the IAE in the following Canadian provinces, Alberta, British Columbia, and Manitoba. The IAE is in compliance with National Instrument 31-103, Registration Requirements, exemptions, and ongoing registrant obligations.